Uh, Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 26, and it's on page 10 of the Church Bibles. So, Genesis 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now this is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. And after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he became the father of Serug. And after he became the father of Serug, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Serog lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us in the book of Genesis. Uh, We praise you that you're our creator God, that you're good, you're just, you're faithful and gracious. Help us to see your great plan for the world that you've made known to us in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, when people come together, dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? When people come together, good things happen? 
when people come together, great things can be achieved. I don't know, think of that work project where they fly in all the people from overseas offices, the best team assembled to complete this mega project. Or maybe you think of the good news stories we heard in the COVID lockdowns of neighbors who live on the same street coming together to help each other out, you know, with groceries or organizing street picnics so that people, you know, still feel connected even though we're in isolation. When people come together, it can be a good feeling, can't it? You know, one of the things I really love about football or soccer is that you really connect with people. You get to connect with people from different backgrounds and, and countries even, you know. You have that common language of football. It sounds a little bit cliche, but, you know, as a uni student, I used to go down to the green in between classes and just play pickup games with the international students, you know. It's so good. You have people from different languages, countries, all coming together, enjoying this common thing. When people come together, or well, human unity can feel so positive, can't it? And yet, sadly, we've also felt the negative side of it, haven't we? You know, there's never been a time where we've been so connected. There's so much technology that we have, and yet you could really argue that the world has also never been so divided. You know, politically, racially, ideologically, people coming together might not necessarily be so positive. And even the good things about human unity that we do enjoy, they can feel sometimes a little bit unfulfilling. You know, that team that you work with, deliver so much together. When the project's completed, you all go your separate ways, and that's kind of the end of that, right? And that colleague you achieve so much with moves on to the next thing, and you realize that actually you didn't really have that much in common. You didn't really actually know them that much as a person. All you had in common was, was work. Is human unity, is it all that good? That's kind of the question today. Uh, we've come to the end of our series in Genesis 1 to 11. The plan's to actually come back to Genesis next year. But we've been looking at the foundations, the foundations of the Christian worldview. Uh, we've looked at creation, uh, God creating the world. We've looked at the fall of humanity, of human sin and evil, and how death entered our world as a consequence of our sin. You know, this is how the Bible tells the story of our world that we live in and how it came to be like this. But there's kind of one last question to answer. How did all these nations of the world, how did they come about? How did our world of different people groups, races, countries, how did that all come about? Well, to pick up from next week, uh, pick up from last week, sorry, um, Sam preached, remember, and we saw that Noah and his family, they get off the ark, that's Genesis chapter 9. And there's a little story you can read at the end of chapter 9 which shows that definitely sin is still within the human race with Noah and his family. And then we get to chapter 10 and we have this genealogy from Noah and his three sons and the nations that come from them. And so if you read this chapter, chapter 10, you'll notice different names of all these ancient countries, the nations that come from Noah's three sons and then that spread across the world. Well, how did that all happen? Well, that's the story of Genesis chapter 11, which actually, our passage today, it's actually a particular moment back in chapter 10, which explains how all these nations came to come about and spread across the world. But Genesis 11, our passage today, actually does much more than tell that, answer that question. See, Babel, the story of Babel, which I'm, you might be very familiar with, it shows us a really important picture of our human condition, of our sin. 
I think this particular picture of the sinful human heart is the one that we who, you know, we live in this part of the world, I think we might struggle with this the most. And so we really need to listen to this story that God's telling us. Uh, So let's start at verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. So the story begins with a united humanity, all living in one place. It literally says that the world had one lip, one set of lips. It was like it was one person with one mouth. You know, this is a united humanity, all living in the one place with one common language. And so the main action, the main action word given to this united humanity is that they speak. They speak. Verse 3. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This uh, human, you know, united humanity makes a remarkable technological advancement, a remarkable innovation. The brick. The brick. But what's the goal? What's their motivation for this? It's in verse 4. Then they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They want to build a city for themselves, but not just a normal city, a city with a tower that reaches to heaven. You know, remember, this isn't Dubai. This is the ancient world, right? Why do they want a city with a tower that reaches all the way to heaven? Listen again to verse 4, in the middle of it. So that we may make a name for ourselves. This united humanity wants to make a name for itself. They want a name, a reputation, a legacy, something to be remembered for, something to find their ultimate value and worth and status in. This tower will make them significant. This tower will make them something, not nothing. Did you also notice what they said at the end of verse 4? Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, hang on a minute. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with not wanting to be scattered? Well, it actually goes against what God wants for humanity. So remember back in Genesis 1, the verse here, God blesses humanity and tells them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Humans have to fill the earth, to spread, to bring order, God's order to the world. And this mandate is actually re-given to Noah after the floods, uh, Sam showed us last week. And so in Babel, this desire to all live in the one place, to not spread, to not be scattered, is actually against what God wants. It's a heart that we've seen before, a heart that says, we don't want you, God. We don't want your ways. We want to do things ourselves, you know, without you, our way. We don't need you. And that's the picture of sin that we've seen before. You know, to be fair, you know, making bricks from fire is actually a, you know, a huge technological advancement in the ancient world. You know, make no mistake, this tower that they're building, this is most likely a ziggurat, you know, like a pyramid, it's really impressive. Really impressive for that time. And I think that's what makes this picture of sin so hard for us. You see, human culture, human progress, it 
it is impressive. It's really impressive. And yet, as we've seen already in Genesis, human progress is still tainted and still corrupted by our sin. This united humanity sets out to achieve something really impressive, to make a real name for themselves. But apart from God, did you notice that? Apart from God, they're not content with the dignity and worth and significance that they already have as the only creatures that God has made in his own image. They don't like God's plan for them to spread out and to fill the earth, to order it under him. They want a tower to reach heaven itself. They want to get to heaven by their own means, as Pippi showed us in Spotlight. In other words, they want to be God. They want to be God. And isn't that what we want? Isn't this a picture of our world? You know, we want to make a name for ourselves, don't we? We want significance. We want to be known, to be remembered for something. We want a name. We want a reputation, a legacy for ourselves, apart from God, without God. You know, why do we do things? Why, why do you do things? See, human achievement, it's never for achievement's sake. A counsellor uh, who works with high-level executives in America had a quote, she had a quote, and it sort of did the rounds. Uh, she says, Achievement is the alcohol of our time. Uh, she goes on, these days, the best people don't abuse alcohol, they abuse their lives. You're successful, so good things happen. You complete a project and you feel dynamite. That feeling doesn't last forever. And so you slide back to normal, you think, I've got to start a new project. We're achievement addicts, she says. When we achieve things, it builds our sense of worth. It gives us the significance that we crave. It gives us a name. That's why we want to achieve. And the thing is, we look to the things, the good things that God has given us and make, we, we, we make them the ultimate thing. So, for example, work or family, our children, they're great things, good things that God has given us. But so often, we turn to these things to give us that achievement dose. You know, work doesn't, becomes the thing that I can achieve my success that will give me significance, you know, where people will know my name, where I'll have a legacy, a status. You know, and family and friends, uh, family and kids, actually, sorry. I, I read someone recently say that, you know, home and family used to be this safe haven uh, where our children can be protected and sheltered from all the pressures of society. But, you know, how many of our homes now basically just take the pressures of the world out there, you know, the pressures to be successful, to, to be a somebody, and just amplify that pressure at home, you know, for our kids? You see, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong here about making bricks. There's nothing wrong with work and family and kids. They're all good things that God has given us to enjoy. But we corrupt them. We corrupt these good things that God has given us with our own sin, with our own desire to make a name for ourselves apart from God. We use them to build our own towers, our own towers that try to reach heaven. You know, the scariest one for me that I've been reflecting on, you know, even religion can be your tower building. Even religion can be the tower that we build. Your tower building can take a religious form. You can use religious piety, you know, maintaining a particular religious or moral outward 
you know, standard and use that to get to heaven by yourself. You know, you could even use a successful ministry as your tower. You know, God, I should get to heaven because I have this really successful, fruitful ministry at church. Babel, the story of Babel is a profound story on our condition. And we really have to ask this uncomfortable question. You know, what is the tower that you're building? You know, what are you investing time, focus, even money in to make yourself significant? You know, what is it? What's the tower that you're building? The ironic thing in the story is that God has to come down to see this tower that they're building. So, verse 5, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. I remember visiting Taipei 101. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been to Taipei 101. It's, when I visited, um, it was... Here's a picture. It was the second uh, tallest building in the world when I visited. Um, I was so scared when I got to the top. I'm really scared of heights, by the way. Right now, this Taipei 101 is only number 11 in the world. Uh, this one, the Burj Khalifa, I think I've pronounced that right, hopefully. This one in Dubai, this is, this is number one. Um, I actually used to work with someone who was the concrete verifier for, for the Burj Khalifa. Um, apparently, as soon as Saudi Arabia heard that Dubai was building this tower, they started making their own plans to, to beat it. And so this one, this is just like an imagination um, artist's impression. It's called Jeddah Tower. This is planned to be the first one-kilometer-high building in the world. Wow. Humans are so impressive, aren't they? But friends... These tall towers, they're like a pimple to God. See, even our greatest achievements, they're nothing compared to the one who just spoke words to create our universe. See, God has to come down to see this tower, this tall tower that they're building. In verse 6, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Wait, hang on a minute. Is God worried about human progress? Is God anxious about humans getting so advanced that they might become level with him? I don't think so. We've just seen that God has to come down from up high, from where he is, to just look at this tower that they're building. God's not saying, geez, I've got to stop this now before they reach you know, up here. No, God's worried about what kind of rebellion the kind of rebellion that these humans might be capable of if they stay united like this. God's concern, and we've seen this throughout Genesis, is always the human heart. The human heart and how that might express itself. And so God frustrates them. He stops their grand building project. He confuses their languages and scatters them all across the earth. Humanity is now finally spread across the earth. You know, just imagine coming to work one day and not being able to communicate, to understand each other. You know, we get confused when we use meters instead of feet, right? You just imagine different languages. You know, even with Google Translate, still really confusing, isn't it? See, God frustrates and he scatters. That's his judgment here. That, that's it? Is that it? You know, you're saying that all God's judgment is is that they can't understand each other? Surely, you know, we've seen much more severe 
judgment in Genesis before, haven't we? I think that's the point. We are supposed to see God's grace here. We're supposed to see God's grace. So Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says, the worst thing that God can do for you is to give you a comfortable life, a life of no troubles, no frustrations, because you won't actually see that you need him. See, when God frustrates us, when he frustrates the towers that we're building, when our achievements get frustrated, that can actually be the most helpful thing for us. It can actually be an incredibly gracious thing that God does for us. It can actually be the start of a turnaround in our own story. See, Babel, this story of Babel is the start of a turnaround in Genesis. The story of Genesis continues. Uh, Verse 10 onwards, uh, we see a genealogy that Bob read so well for us that leads all the way to a man named Abram or Abraham, the great forefather of Israel. And yet Abraham, despite what you might think, he isn't a hero in our understanding of that word. If you read on in Genesis, you'll see that Abraham and his family, they're messy, very messy. Because the story of Genesis, and indeed the story of the whole Bible, is that God brings about good, even though humans intended things for evil. God brings about good from evil. Just think of the Babel story. Who's the hero here? You know, who's the hero? There's no righteous figure like Noah here. There's no model of faith. The hero is God. There's no one here but God. God alone can bring about a solution to human evil. But the thing to get is that God doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He can, but he's not obliged to. God chooses to. See, at the lowest point for humanity... When humanity is united, when humanity comes together to set itself up here at Babel against its own creator, God does the most remarkable thing. God chooses a sinful, broken man, Abram, and he makes him an incredible promise. There's nothing that Abram does to deserve this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. This is what God promises Abram. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I will make your name great. And all peoples of the earth, all peoples from every language, tribe, nation, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the turnaround. See, God's not against people coming together. God's not against our deep-down desire for significance, for a name. God's not against that. God just doesn't want you to miss out on having the best name ever. God doesn't want you to miss out on having real significance. There's a better unity and a better name to offer. You see, this promise to Abraham before, it's fulfilled in Jesus, the great descendant of Abram. In Jesus, who died for sinners and rose again, all nations, all peoples, from every background, every language, every tribe, are brought together. So Acts chapter 2 is the story of how The Christian church begins at Pentecost when God pours out his Holy Spirit on all who trust in Jesus. That story is the reversal of Babel. You see, rather than being scattered because of different languages, people from all different languages are now brought together to hear the same gospel message of Jesus and are now united in faith in him, in Jesus. See, that's the story of the church. That's that's the church. And Revelation 7, which 
which um, Penny uh, called us to worship today. This great vision of what God is bringing about, um, this vision of heaven. You know, a great multitude. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, praising God, praising the Lamb, praising Jesus. See, God is bringing about a better human unity. All nations, all languages, saved by Jesus, praising Him forever. God's offering us a better unity. And He's also offering us a better name. See, rather than us making a name for ourselves, building our own towers and cities, reaching heaven by our own means, our own efforts, the story of the Bible is actually that God is promising to bring heaven down to us. God the Son came down from heaven to save us. And the picture at the end of the Bible is God bringing heaven. So look at this. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So you can't get to heaven by your own efforts. You can't get to heaven on your own, not even through religious efforts. But God's promise is that he will bring heaven down to you. If you trust in the one who came from heaven, came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, his son, and you can't make a name for yourself that lasts, but God's offering to put his name on you. Jesus promises this. He says, I will write on them the name of my God. That's Revelation 3.12. Friends, that is significance. To be chosen by God redeemed by His Son, given eternal life forever with Him. God's name, God's own name written on you. That's significance. For these sermons, uh, Kushak, who puts the booklets together, he, he asked for a title, and I really struggled to come up with anything. Um, but the one I came up with today is, my name is, dot, 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 my name is. So how would you, personally, how would you, finish that sentence. I'm not asking for your name name, but what's the name that you're seeking for yourself? You know, where are you looking to find significance? What are your achievements in life? You know, what are they building towards? You see, our world is saying to all of us, just like they said in Babel, come, let's build ourselves a city. Let's make a name for ourselves here. Let's find our significance here. But Jesus is offering you, if you trust in him, a place in his eternal heavenly city. And his name, Jesus is offering to give you his name. Which city do you long to be in? And which name do you want to have?